0: I want to move on from where we left behind the previous week and that is we began what would be offended of God. And so this would be number two on that series, not the last Sunday, the Sunday before last. And so I want us to recognize that the reason I brought this about was because of uh, something that could happen and in almost every epic situation, positive or negative, Particularly negative, there's always been a rush to judge God. And I want us to understand that what we are seeing is almost similar to what has taken place in the 50s and particularly the 60s when there was the war and all of that, and God is dead. Literally, it was simply against God, it was man's act. But ultimately, uh, all of the folks in the media and others, even theologians, say it is God and God is dead. What we are seeing today is soon after we come out and come back to what would be a near normalcy, we're going to find it's going to be difficult. The reality, the stark reality hits us. Oh my God, it's so terrible. Where was God in all of this? And so you're going to find, uh, they will add, the acts of God. That COVID-19 is an act of God. I want you to understand it is anything but the act of God. Whether people cared to admit it or not, this was all about the acts of men. In fact, man was manipulating this. We're living in a dreadful time when people don't trust each other. The man who has the biggest gun will win. So, a lot of countries are involved, including our nation and other nations as well. But this comes about in terms of a weapon that they want to do to squeeze it and to make sure the world at large are threatened because the man who has the biggest gun wins, so to speak. And what you've seen is anything but the acts of God. God is a gracious God, God is a merciful God. In spite of all that have happened, God has been faithful. When will we ever learn to learn from our mistakes? that you see the pollution, it is because of man and everything we have touched, everything man was to be in charge of has fallen, has been polluted, it has nothing to do with God. So the stark reality is like an accident. It takes a few weeks before we realize, oh my God, I didn't think it was so bad. The reality will strike, things are not going to be the same, and we have to go back and rebuild. So this would be an opportune moment. We're coming out of the ark, and literally the door is open, and as we come out, we're looking at the, the damage and the devastation of that flood that come, came in the time of Noah. This, what we phrase, is not by water, but it is literally by a virus, and uh, worse things could happen. But I want us to realize the theme for this message, offended of God, uh, is very important because many people are offended by God. It should not be. But Jesus talking about in the Mount Olivet sermon in Matthew chapter 25, he talks about the scenario of that which would happen in the last days. And what he said in verse 10 simply is in the last days many will be offended. I cannot tell you how people are so sensitive. You really cannot say anything today just in case somebody gets offended. It could be language, it could be religion, it could be caste, it could be color, it could be culture. My, 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 it's so dangerous, and lawyers are working overtime to phrase words. You can't call him him or her her. You can't call him or her it either. Everybody gets offended. What happened to the old days when you knew what was right and what was wrong, and in between there were gray? But it is the gray areas that, that we are in today. And unfortunately, the trend that takes place in America soon makes its way to the far reaches of the world. Literally, we are changing the world as we know it, and then we wonder, why is it a different world? We are responsible. So I want us to realize when I talk about offended of God or offended by God, I want you to realize whatever you do, do not blame God. Whatever happens, God is not what you think. You are attributing the acts of Satan and the acts of men influenced by Satanic forces to God. That can never be. You do not know then the scriptures. We need to know that God is light, God is love, God is life, and everything there is is about God. And we need to recognize that He's a good God, He's a merciful God. And when we come to today's subject, this is very important for those not only here but across the world, but this is going to be something that would be across across the world a sense of offense that will be about God, about the word, and soon we're going to come across people we will try and ban the Bible. I said ban the Bible. Have you ever noticed that it is not about other gods? And I don't believe degrading any gods of any culture and any religion, but it's a free ride when it comes to Jesus. The very people who say, oh, it's don't see, it's anti-so are the very people that make it anti-Christ. I don't understand why. The fact of the matter is mass media makes it a project to say, F, Jesus, F. Try that on anybody else. Try that on some prophets or some rabbi or some, you're going to get litigation. But it's an open season on the name of Jesus. And I don't understand that they say 82 or 86% of this nation is Christians, and why they cannot say enough is enough. This is not done in Saudi Arabia. It is not done in India, it's not done in Africa, it's done here in the West. And we should be angry. And yet when by mistake you say something which would be historically right, they would say, excuse me, you offended me. Haven't you offended me by talking about Jesus? What will you do, my friends? Don't let what people want to say and do make it your song. That's the song of the devil. It shouldn't be your song. Now, that being said, I want you to understand... A couple of points, and if you don't get this, go home, and you can get all of the references on our webpage. The first thing I want us to realize is many are offended because of what would be locked down. And I'm taking the passage about from Matthew chapter 11 and verse 6, where Jesus said, Blessed is you, whoever shall not be offended in me. Offended in me. Now, I want you to realize this. We're talking about John the Baptist. No one else, born of a woman, more blessed than he. And yet comes to a place where he's near offended because he was waiting for what would be total emancipation, a complete overthrow of the kingdom, bringing in the righteousness, or would be the theoretical kingdom, or what would be God's kingdom on earth and replacing it, all of this with a nationalism, which, of course, is prophesied in the Old Testament, but because of the difference of timing or not understanding the timings of God's timing, men tend to look at man's timeline and get confused. So you find the man is, as you turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, He is locked down. It's a virtual lockdown for John the Baptist when John had had heard about what's taking place in prison. If we go a little further, particularly from the Gospel of uh, Luke chapter 7, going to find Jesus is coming down and you're going to find a Roman centurion is basically reaches out his prayers answered then on his way Jesus Christ heals or literally raises a dead person a young lad from the widow of Nain and she was weeping and crying she was taking with the few to the funeral place and Jesus reaches out. This is reported by John, the Baptist's disciples to John in prison. John is dismayed. What is he raising a young kid for? Shouldn't he be raising the nation of Israel? Shouldn't he raise the whole nation that is dead in sin? Where are the works of repentance, he said to the Pharisees? iniquities and sins and they cried out and then they repented and were baptized and he was looking for a total spiritual emancipation. Now this thing about a child being raised is not what John is looking for. John, unlike Jesus, is a spiritual revolutionary He wants to turn the whole thing upside down, and the very fact that he is in prison was because he went from where he was. He's a righteous man, but he moved into attacking what would be rightly so, Herod, for having taken his brother Philip's wife. Now, that being said, Herodias, the wife of Herod, was very upset And so she managed to get this man in prison because of Herod and because he feared John, he wouldn't kill him. But ultimately, that was done. So this would be what would be when he's in prison. He's looking for what exactly is going on. In a lockdown, many a times, we don't get a clear picture. We're clouded by many things negative. And many a times, we can only get part of the news, and all the news sometimes we get is so negative. And in prison, it's not easy. It becomes very difficult. Number two, I call it the cost of his calling. Matthew chapter 3, verse 3, is a man that is described as a voice in the wilderness. It was prophesied before by Isaiah that this is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But now, the voice is in the wilderness, and the wilderness is in the voice. Sometimes, when you can get so perturbed about what is taking place nationally, internationally, soon, You are absorbed, not by the call of being a voice, but the very thing that troubles you. It's all about national, international things, and you are caught into it. You cannot think of anything else but about this. I've seen many a great man, a great woman, go out into the mission field with great, ideas and great ideals with great call and soon had a heart attack because they couldn't take the things what they saw. They came to preach the good news but the surroundings as clouded, as turned into such a big burden they couldn't handle, they took upon themselves. That's why Jesus said, Come unto me, all you. Give him the burden because he says, I will take the yoke. We cannot. We should not. For those of us who listen and counsel, we need to realize, my friend, that it is time that we need to take all of this and give it to someone. It's too big for us. We cannot counsel, nor can we. It is so heavy. Sometimes the prayer, Lord, can be so heavy that we not only need to go to the great counselor, we need to go to the great prayer, intercess our Lord, and say, Here, Lord, it's your burden. I did what I could, but now it's yours. I can't take it anymore. Or else we will be in a prison. And then the call, not only of the cost of a call of this man, but the cost of a ministry. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 5, he's one reaching out to hundreds of people in Jerusalem, then goes all the way to Judea, and then to the regions round about Jordan, and what a ministry. Hundreds of people flocked to him. He was a free bird. The sky... Worse is roof, and he ate the locust, a plain man living in a thatched roof, but he liked the wildlife and someone that is unattached, he's chained to a prison. His whole world is now crammed up in just a small little cell, and a man who's a free spirit is bound like a criminal. Have you been there? May not be in a literal prison, but you and I have been there in a lockdown. We couldn't go out. We were so afraid. You remember a little more than a year ago, we would even wash the vegetable with soap. (laughs) Then wash the bags that we bought the vegetable with soap. And then we would put antiseptic all over, including whatever we touched. Yeah, we were scared. Some are still scared. Hey, you need to come out if you're in New York. It's time you come out. Take the step. So now I want you to understand what is happening is this man is in a very difficult situation. He's so weak and worn that he's frail. And again, you can become frail because you haven't got the sunshine. Many people go through lack of vitamin D, vitamin C, and so forth. And so it looks like man alive. Is this the same guy when we look at our mirror? I look so pale. I look so worried. It's like the whole world is on top of my head. I'm not called, and you're not called to be an atlas. Jesus is the burden bearer. So here is this man so worn out, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, in prison. You know, sometimes when you're locked away, we find it very difficult because very simply, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, if one walks with another and the others alone, the, the second person will come and give company and if one is cold, the other person gives warmth. There's a sense of communication. I cannot tell you, it has cost people, we are a society people, we interact. But what has happened in the last one and a half year is we have lost touch with one another People are not able to move out and see their loved ones, see their friends, let alone go to work, which was normal, were stuck. And here is John the Baptist, a free bird, stuck and could not communicate, could not do what he freely was called, the call of his ministry, the call that he has upon his life. You know, this is exactly what happened A strong, robust man like him. Actually, John the Baptist is called from the spirit of Elijah. Understand this one man, and we need people like John the Baptist. Not simply calling on Herod, but who are willing to pay a price. Simply, it says if you live in a, A glass house, you shouldn't throw thrones. John can, he was not living in a glass house. And I want you to understand people like John the Baptist and Elijah, they have simple means. They can attack. A few years ago, I heard one of the gospel singers criticize the other gospel singers for going and getting the most luxurious car, but he himself had one of the most expensive cars. How could you criticize someone when you have someone, something like them? But John the Baptist could. His was a simple life. And I want you to understand, when you look at this, what happened to Elijah? Standing there in Mount Carmel, my God, what boldness! He could challenge Jezebel and the false prophets, the prophets of Baal. Up on Mount Carmel. And yet in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, when Jezebel, one woman, screamed, roared, the man took off with all his two legs can carry. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 5 simply says, he sat under the genepity. He was so melancholy. He was so discouraged. He was so despondent. He was so discouraged. And why? Because he did not have people around him. And that was the state of one that had the spirit of Elijah. Now he's all alone and he's questioning himself. And in that he's questioning the Lord Jesus. So when you come to number five point, doubts. All of the very best people have had doubts. You remember Thomas. You remember the disciples. No, it's him. Who's walking on the water? It's a spirit. No, it's the ghost. No, it is somebody else. And then Peter said, Lord, is it you? Excuse me. And the Lord is sigh. I. Many a people have like Thomas the doubting Thomas. Now I want you to understand in all of this, we all go through this. But let me just remind you John the Baptist had heard the preaching of Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he will spring open the prison doors, and now John is in prison. And so John is saying, I heard you say about that prison. I am in prison. Get me out. I want you to realize sometimes we take scriptures conveniently out of context when we are desperate. Jesus also said about blind eyes. The lame will spring. And of course, prison does, but first he's coming in the spiritual and then emotional and then in the physical and in everything to do with everything, whether it's physiology or psychology or whether it be in terms of sociology, whether in terms of material and financial evil, but first he works in the spirit to set us free. What good is it if he gave you everything you wanted and yet your soul would be lost in hell. What does a man gain if he gains the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Jesus has come primarily to save our soul. But then comes the question part. And the question simply is, as he sends his disciples, the two of them, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 3, are you he? Or do we expect someone else? Luke chapter 11, verse 19. Are you that person? Are you that one? The one, the only one. There's everybody who comes like they are one, but the one, the only one that I know you are. Or just in case, somewhere I missed it, is there anyone? else. Anyone else. When we are in desperate situation, we miss the one, the only one, and just about anyone else will do. Number seven, the reason what happened was, when you turn to John chapter 4 and verse 3, because Jesus was gaining more, and of course that was the prayer of John, that I might decrease, he might increase. More people were coming to hear Jesus. So Jesus didn't want something like what Abraham and Lot had, and he moved out. Same way Jesus moved, and he departed from Judah to Galilee. But in that, you know, they don't have texting, they didn't have what would be cellular phones. So it was difficult for John to be in touch with Jesus. It must have been a pretty long time because he did baptize Jesus, he did, probably had intimate talk with Jesus, he loved Jesus, they were cousins after all. But then, when he lost touch, it got difficult. And when you turn to John chapter 15 and verse one and two, Jesus, I am the wine. Without me, you can do nothing. Always be attached. Always, verse 2, always be attached to Jesus. Always be connected. Every branch in me bears fruit and so forth. Without me, he goes on to say, you can do nothing. So you come to a place where he is imprisoned. He had lost touch physically, so to speak. And in that moment comes that depression. In that moment comes what would be questions. And so he is sending two of his disciples who had reported about what Jesus is doing, and for him, it's not about raising a child. It's not about healing a servant. It is about shaking the whole tree. It is about taking the axe and cutting the whole corrupt tree. It is about having the fan in your hand and purging the widow, purging the chaff, from the true, but he's doing nothing. So that despondency. There are times when John must have felt, why isn't Jesus so aggressive like me? We need to realize different mood swings and different temperaments of people. You know, people like Paul and if you are with Paul, he's strong. He can offend you. Barnabas was offended. Timothy just ran away. Oh, I like to be like Peter. I like Peter. My friend, Peter is amazing. He asked the lady, what happened? Oh, my husband gave a huge amount of tights after we sold the land. He said, really? Drop dead. You're telling me a lie. While they were carrying the man, they said, take the woman also, she dropped dead. Oh my God, we will be, Lord, is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord, this Peter is. That's why you have a John, lean on to me. He's one that is gentle, he's one that is kind. Different temperament. He has entered the foray of politics. He is strong, when he cuts, he cuts. And Jesus, why don't you get the mob? You got so many people and I heard that the day you walked into Jerusalem, the day when the lamb was selected, they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king. And you just slipped by. You missed that opportunity. You should have got this pastel totally overthrown and taking over France and UK and USA and the whole country, it's a force. And I want you to understand, when Pilate said, are you the one? He said, I am the king, so did I come. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If I say so, the legions would come and this entire universe would go. But I've not come for that. Pilate will one day be judged by the true king. But I want you to understand, he comes as a lamb before he would come on the white stallion as the king of kings and the lord of lords. I want you to realize, my friend, when you come to the ninth point, it's simply that this man comes to a place where he says, my prayers are not being answered. I'm still locked up in the cell. And I know when we come out, there's a lot of people who are going to be hurt because people are going to say, where's your loved one? And you say, you have no idea. You know, people have gone through so much. In the midst of calamities, in the midst when there's a crisis, people lose loved ones. Then there's divorce, then there's job that is not there. So people go through and they don't want to be asked. It's so difficult. You have a nice house, you have a great job, you slide it through the calamity like it is nothing. And you are saying, you don't have faith. You should be like me. My friend, never do this. Never ever do this. Until you are on the other side, you'll understand the pain and understand the pain that people go through. And so understand his prayer is not answered. I will talk about what happens and how really his prayer was answered. Number 10, he comes to a place when everything has gone down. The call, his ministry, the largeness of his crowd, people following him. The very thing that he came and he loved to do, even though he met hostility and a lot of resistance, but he was the man who talked about the man. He was the messenger who talked about the message, Jesus. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. And yet at this point, his prayer is like the psalmist. Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows everything you and I go through. We were locked up in our house. Jesus was nailed to the cross when he said, My God, my God. Because at this point, he was addressing his father, God. He took our place. He knows what it is. I want us to understand there's something that is very difficult to understand. And this is number 11th point. Unmet exp- expectation. Unmet expectation is what many at, in the marriage, in the home, in the work field, when they tend to have a greater expectation, even though it is explained to them, this is how it's going to work. But somewhere the expectation comes, oh, I need to take over. Absalom was very upset. He thought he's going to take over. And when it didn't happen, he took it by, wanted to take it by force. A sense when children suddenly can become dominative, instead of being mild. It happens in society, it happens at home, it happens at work, it happens everywhere. What would be unmet expectation? Jesus talked about the story in Matthew chapter 20 about where the hirelings or this man went and employed people. He employed them probably at five in the morning Then he employed some others at six in the morning, others at seven, then he went on to employ at 12. And just one hour before the close of the day, probably let's say five o'clock it closes, four o'clock he basically employed the last of them. But he began to pay people from the last. So he paid exactly what he had promised the folks earlier and he paid them a full day's wage. When it came to the people that had worked from morning five, they were offended. Their unmet expectation, if you read Matthew chapter 20, verse 10 and verse 11, they supposed, they expected that he would have given more. And they were angry. And in verse 11, Jesus is saying, chapter, when they are say murmured, why? I arranged with you exactly what you would get. It is my money, and if I chose to give someone else a little more, it's mine. What have you to be upset about? This is what is unmet expectation. Sometimes we get upset because even though we did not get a oral or written, somewhere we misunderstood god owes us a lot why is it lord i served you i tited i praised you and then this happened to me why is it lord this one year my time clock has just moved on i'm now one and a half year old can i find a spouse at this time it's one and a half years now my job is obsolete Do I have to go back and compete with these young folks to get a job, or do I have to just go down to McDonald's and they, too, hire young people? They don't want me. Where are you, God? I've been faithful. Like God just gave us a written thing, no matter what. And so there is, but then there's also what would be. You know, there is a psalm the book of Proverbs. Chapter 13 and verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred. Sometimes people grab little sentences when just one word has been given and make a whole paragraph. So there is an old saying, a colloquial saying, give a man an elephant But don't give him hope, because he'll be very disappointed. So we are today people who feel that God should, owes me a car, not just any, the best. God owes me a house, not just any, the biggest. God owes no one anything. So this expectation, then there is a thing called false expectation. Number two. 12. What is a false expectation? A false expectation is something like Naaman. He goes and he expects, he's a big man, he's a commander and of course he himself was responsible to defeat Israel now he's coming into a wilderness in Dotan, which is not even the capital because The maid at his house had told his wife, there is a prophet in Israel who can heal your leprosy. And because his wife said, go, you tried everything else. And so he goes, but he expected the prophet to come running out and say, oh, Naaman, so glad you came. The prophet didn't even come out. The prophet sent his servants. He was disappointed. And then the prophet had told his servant, Tell him to go dip in the waters of Jordan. And Naaman says, What? I expected something grandeur. I expected the man to say, Oh, and use the King James Version Oh, thou, almighty, thou, thee, do we go? The man didn't even speak any oratory, flowery English. Not even plain English. He sent me a servant to dip in the waters of Jordan when our waters in Arpana and Papana are better than this water, this muddy water. A false sense, but for a servant who said, My Lord... What if the prophet had asked you to do something impossible? Sometimes the best answer to false expectation even for a donkey to speak. That's what he spoke to even a great prophet of, uh, of the nation. Remember in Numbers chapter 23? Don't, don't you see it's an angel drawn? I'm protecting you when the prophet was knocking down the donkey. Sometimes somebody has to say the truth to get us to reality. It may be painful, but who's going to bell the cat? No one would. But then the servant said, my Lord, please, I don't want to hurt you. Just do what he said. Just finish till it, it may be an ordeal. It might be a humiliation. Get into the water. So the man did one, and he did through and nothing happened, he did three, and he's looking at the servant and saying, what a stupid fool I look like. He did four, he did five, he did six, and then he did the seventh, and his kin was that of a child, clear. My friend, he had a false expectation that had to be bubble, had to be burst. Number 13, Understand this principle. The closer you are to the one that hurt you, the greater the pain. Did you know the greatest battles are not between enemies? Just look at the divorce court. They're socking each other like crazy. They both could have joined and socked the neighbor who threw so much things at them. No, they didn't. They were kind and gracious. But they've taken their gloves and the woman has exposed a nail to just pierce that guy and the man has taken a dragger to make sure she's killed it is naked fright because they were close the closer you are the greater the pain the greater the offense and there are people who can never forgive they've forgiven people at office They've forgiven their boss for saying nasty things, and yet they can't forgive their spouse, their parents. I want you to realize, my friends, it's because of love that was said, let go and keep love, even though it may not be intense like before, but don't. Let the enormousity of that love be changed into enormousity of that bitterness and hate. It's going to kill you. Psalm 55, verse 12, 13, 14. Look at what the Psalms are saying. For it was not an enemy that reproached me that I would have borne it, neither it was he, it was he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me, that I would have hid myself from him. Verse 13, but it was thou, a man my equal, my guide, and my acquaintance. Verse 14, we took sweet counsel together. We walked in the house of God in company. It was you. It was you that stabbed me in the back. The pain is so great. We enjoy times together. I can never forgive. I will take this offense to my grave. Yep, you just dug your grave a few years earlier than you should die. I want you to understand my friend number 14. John the Baptist? Then what about me? I'm nowhere near that man. He's the blessed of any mothers who had a son. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, offense will come. It's going to come. Offense is stand alone It's simply that will entrap you like someone trying to trap a bird. Satan will trap you. You will be offended at the people who love you most. You know, have you ever understood when things take place, the danger is not the man who is offended at everyone who hurt him, but it is his father or mother who loved him the most. And I want you to understand, my friend, It is something that is so powerful, this thing called offense. Finally, I began this message by saying, we're living in the last days, and this is something we should be very careful. While giving his message on the last days, sitting on that Mount Olivet, he talked about what will take place, and how these things, begin to take shape, and he talked about know the times and the signs of times, and what are one of the signs? Paul writes about that in, to Timothy, but Jesus is saying, and among the many things, very important, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 10. He says, in these later times, then shall many be offended and betray one another and shall hate one another. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the disciples. He's not talking about, well, that is a cat, eat cat, dog, eat dog world. But it will happen even worse in the Christian circle if you're not careful. You could be a tongue-talking, evangelistic, conservative, or whatever you call yourself. But you can be offended over the minor things. I've seen people offended over race issue, over culture issue, over scriptural issue, over every minor issue. They don't even talk. I said this is the last days. People are offended. They call. They call their lawyer, not the Lord. I want to sue her. I want to sue him. Money, money, money. My friend, everybody is getting offended. I can understand the word, what is happening in the house of God. So I've given you 15 points. I don't know if I'll wrap it up, but I'll give you point by point. What should we do? And what can we do when there is offense? When John the Baptist had sinned, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, blessed is he that is not offended in me. But I want you to understand, Jesus, as soon as the disciples, two disciples of John left, Jesus turned around and with such glowing words, began to speak, whether you turn to Matthew chapter 11 or Luke chapter 7 or Mark, Jesus said, when you went, what did you go to see, a man wearing silk? What did you go to see, a prophet? What did you go to see, a voice and hear the voice? No, 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 he's much more. He's much more of all that is born of a woman, there's no one like John the Baptist. What glowing terms! What amazing words! What a testimony from the mouth of the master to someone lesser. No one. No one, no, 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 no one like John. So I want you to understand Jesus not offended. On the contrary, he's looking at the heart of this man, a pure man, a holy man. It was what is called, and let me just say the word, some are angry mentally. Some are in offenses because of their own need. This man was burning with righteous indignation righteous indignation righteous indignation as one for god and for his name as one for god and his word is locked up in prison and soon his head would be chopped it was for a righteous indignation jesus says have you seen this man When you went out, who did you go to see? He's more than a messenger. He's more than a voice. He's more than a prophet. Number one, when you get offended, very important, go to God directly. Go to God directly. Never let God hear from someone else you're offended at him. You're offended at your boss? Go to him. I worked under Pastor Wright, my senior colleague. Wasn't everything that I thought was always right, but I locked the door. I faced him, and I said, you're my chief here. You're my boss here. I think we're sinking at this time. But I want you to understand this. If you sink, I sink with you. If you fall, I will fall with you. But I'm just expressing my disagreement until you tell me that I may be wrong. I don't want to eat myself with offense. Nobody in the... Years then or now have ever heard me being offended. He heard it, and only him. He loved me. He trusted me. Why? Because I could go to him, open my heart in humility, because he was bigger and greater than me. I want you to understand, my friend, we all will be offended. Go to God directly. Go to Him and say, God, I just don't understand this. Read the writings of the prophets. Jeremiah was lamented. But he never complained to you. It's none of your business, he said. He wrote a book called The Lamentation. Of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was never a laughing prophet. He wrote his lamentation to God and said, God, this is this. I don't understand. So did the psalmist. So did Job. I mean, he questioned God. I'll talk about that until God questioned him. But it was to no one else. I want you to understand a very important component here. When John was locked up in prison, he couldn't just go to Jesus, and Jesus was in Judah. He was locked. It was just virtually impossible for him to get out. Two of his very trusted confidant who could visit his his prison maybe once a month they allowed him. They allowed them. They talked about Jesus and he said to them, Something that's bothering me. It's bothering you too. Did you hear what he said? Should we look for another, not I? Did you hear that word? Matthew chapter 11, verse 6. John, Luke chapter 7, verse 19. Should we, Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 3. Should we look for another? It's bothering you, it's bothering me. Should we look for another? You know, rather than being bothered, my friends, he said, make the trip to Judah. Tell him that we need to ask of you because we're troubled. Maybe you have something we don't know, but we're just asking you. And that is amazing. Number two, when you go through a time of offense, know this very well. We can't avoid the situation, it is a reality. There may be something that offended us, And before it becomes a mountain, we need to recognize it. But we must also recognize not only the situation, we have a very limited understanding. So many people, when Pastor Wright was in this building, this complex, would whisper, what is he doing? I have heard people say, and I had to stop them and say, what are you talking about? He's building something for the people to remember him and his son. There is not a single place his name is written, or his son. In fact, just before passing and before that, he said, Pastor Subash, you're going to take over if I should die. Not his son. Have you ever seen a man? would not, it's like a Christianity has become a fiefdom, passing it to their child like it is their own possession. Have you seen pastors groom their son? He walk away, color the town red, and then just before the father dies, suddenly gets a quick conversion and takes over a flourishing work. Not him, not him. He handed nothing over to his son. But I would tell you this, my friend. The reason people said that is because they had limited understanding. People were upset and said, toilet is so terrible. He wanted to build. But in the process, he didn't have the funds. He did what he could do. But understand, people don't have the full picture. So they can understand. They will not be able to understand this. But I want you to realize this. Until we get a full picture, we may not be able to understand what God is doing. And until we understand, we need to realize that we prophesy in part, and we have knowledge in part, only in heaven we will get to know whole. So just part of it doesn't make whole of it, and we only know a little bit of what God has, only later on we'll come to know, thank you God! Now I want you to understand, Here is John the Baptist prophesying and listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. The axe is laid at the roots. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. He goes on in verse 12. He goes on to say, And so the fan in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor and wheat into garner but he'll burn up the shaft with the unquenchable wind. But he didn't know the timetable. He didn't know when this will happen. This is yet to come, but Jesus has come first to save before he's come to judge. He comes upon a donkey before he comes upon the white stallion as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Now, I you to realize this very importantly Here is a man who didn't get the whole grasp. They could not look down to the corridors of time and get the whole picture. A prophecy we understand in part, but then when it is complete, we say, oh, now I get it. We don't have infinite mind. We only have a finite mind touched by a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. We don't have the whole understanding but in part until he that is perfect will come and then we will know in full first corinthians chapter 13 the last words so we will quote this psalm 91 verse 10 no pestilence will come near my dwelling place and then behold, pestilence has come right there at the door. God, are you? What, what's going on? John chapter 10, verse 10. Life I give you and life abundant. I think it means life so much that house filled with gold, wallet filled with money, health pristine. Or oh, John chapter 14, verse 14. What are you asking me? Whatever. I did ask for the latest car. Yeah, that was out there in the news the other day, $35 million. Oh, there was a lottery ticket, $300 million or something. I asked. I didn't get it. Somebody else far away got it. What happened, God? You said, ask anything in my name. <laughs> what is missing here? I mean, I'm getting two plus two is five. I'm not getting the four. What happened? It's a missing number, I know. I don't know. I'm counting. We look at it with human words. But I want you to understand, Jesus said so, and yet in John chapter 16, and verse 33 also said, all this with tribulation. He said, These things have spoken unto you plainly, that you may have peace, but in the world you will have what? I thought a lottery ticket with all that money, tribulation. But be of good cheer like you got a lottery ticket. What? Because I've overcome the world. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul is writing to this good servant. And what he says is you, all that live godly shall suffer persecution. So the interpretation is if we didn't live godly, we won't suffer persecution. So you're suffering persecution, jump up and say, thank you, God, I'm living godly. Yeah, thank you, Lord. It is how we divide the scriptures. It is how we get a perfect understanding. A word here, a word there, and as we merge them together, we say, my God, you're opening my understanding I'm not judging you by my circumstances. I'm judging you by your word. And I thank you, Father. We don't have time. I'll just close with number th- number three. And this is something very important. I don't think I can, st- I think it's almost 12. Let me just close with this, because I know I will finish the next. 12, the next Sunday, but I don't want to take it because the choir is coming just in a moment. This is going to take a little more, but just to tell you this, my friend, very important. Let me just read Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 19. When there is offense, it's so difficult. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like bars of gold. Or when a son or a daughter, a husband and wife is offended, you are building bars that very difficult to get through. It is almost like you can break the impregnable castle, but our hearts will never open to the things of God. Many a loving father and mother showered so much on their children. And somewhere along, they picked up the wrong companions, and instead of blaming it on the devil and their friends who corrupted them, blame it on the parents. Many a times, people who have been so abundantly blessed come out of this pandemic, and my fear is, don't blame God. If you have no understanding, keep your mouth shut. Why? because Job went through it all. One after the other, nothing but negative news. Negative news, negative news! He loved his family. They were prosperous. And news about cattle, news about all the things that he owned falling apart, and then the last one says, All seven of your children. His wife said, curse God and die. But he says in chapter 2 and verse 10, I received so much good of God, I must be willing to receive the not so good as well. Something I want you to understand, if you could just put this up on the screen, Job chapter 1, verse 22. This is so amazing. In all of this, Job sinned not, not charged God foolishly. Not charged God foolishly. You can't speak to God and say, God, I don't understand. You told me this. I'm not blaming you. You're the boss. You're the big guy. You're the father. Everything comes from you. But God, why? I'm not charging you, Lord. I'm just a child. I don't have that understanding. Think of me as a puny five-year-old crying out and saying, Why, Mama? Why can't I eat more chocolate? I don't understand. Teach me your will. Father, as we come out of this pandemic, even as we go through the next couple of words next week, help us to prepare our hearts that Satan will never, ever put the seeds of ever blaming you. That we would come to the level as Job to be like even this great man, oh, John the Baptist, blessed among all, born of a woman. Bless your people. Help us to understand in Jesus' name.